0: Let's look in Mark chapter 10 this morning as we continue to go through the gospel of Mark and looking for what Mark said he intended for us to see when he wrote the letter, when he wrote this gospel, so that we would find out who Jesus, the Son of God, is. Um, We believe, we sang that earlier this morning, that Jesus is the Son of God. Mark believed that too. And so he gives us these stories of the life of Jesus. And some of the teachings of Jesus, not only the things he did, but the things that he taught. This morning, we're going to look at one of the things that he taught. And it's Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 1. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him. As was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him. By asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That sounds familiar to us this morning since we just read that from Genesis. So they, they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. And so, the test. The Pharisees, the Pharisees remember, these were these were religious leaders in Jesus' day. Um, there were different, different groups of them. Um, there were... They're they're referred to sometimes as teachers of the law. There's another group called the Sadducees. Then there's the Pharisees. These are are trained religious leaders. And these were the men, mostly, that were leading Israel not to receive Jesus. Because the more they found out about Jesus, the more they heard him speak, the more trouble they thought they were going to get into from Rome. And they didn't want things to get messed up and mess up the way their system was working, in their opinion, just fine. Even though he was proving by the things that he said and by the things that he did that he was in fact the Messiah that they'd been looking for all their lives and, 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 and long before they came in, you know, into this, onto the scene, they still wanted to keep things the way they were so much that they wanted to keep people from receiving Jesus even though the scripture was pointing to him as the Messiah. And so this is another one of their test days. Another day when they're going to try to get the people not to like him because of the way he answers their questions. And so they brought up a subject that is very divisive. It's very divisive today. It was very divisive in Jesus' day. There were some Pharisees and some Sadducees who thought one thing about divorce and there were others that thought another thing. And so here they're going to try and get the people stirred up and and at least a bunch of them not to like Jesus for what he's going to say. And so they ask him the question. Is it lawful? Is it, is it, is it, can, a, can a person keep the law and still divorce his wife? And Jesus asked him, okay, what's, what's the Old Testament say? What does your law say? And they quoted from Moses, from Deuteronomy. And then Jesus said, the only reason that Moses allowed that was because of the heart. And, and, I, and I like the way he puts it here. Was because of the hardness of your hearts. He didn't say because of the hardness of the Israelites, you know, 3,000 years ago. He says because of the the hardness of your hearts. He brings that hardness right into the present-day Israel of his day. Because remember, the children of Israel in his day were just as hard-hearted as the children of Israel were as they were wandering around the desert with Moses. That's again, or just remind you of this, that's why he spoke so often in Parables. That was a statement of judgment against them, because Isaiah said, "He's going to come and speak of, in speaking of parables as judgment against you, so that you can't understand what he's what he's saying." A lot of times, people think, "Well, the parables are given so that we can understand better." No, they were a statement of judgment against Israel, because Israel was hard-hearted, because they were stiff-necked, as he often uh, referred to them. And so he said, "The reason that Moses allowed you men to divorce your wives." Is because he knew how hard-hearted you were, and that you would do, and that you would just leave them instead of divorce them and give them another chance. You just leave them and leave them destitute, and so he allowed it. But then, and there's another there's another example of this kind of thing. There are, there are numerous ones, but um, in 1 Samuel uh, chapter eight, I'm going to ask you to turn there. In 1 Samuel chapter eight we see where the children of Israel, again, because of the hardness of their hearts, um, they were dissatisfied with the way God had organized um, their their country. They'd been living under, um, by Samuel's time, they'd been living for around 400 years under the rule of judges that God had set up for them. To, to, to give them leadership. They didn't have a king like all the other nations around them. And the people of the people of God, as, as, as you'll read here, as I'll read with you, uh, from Samuel chapter 8, um, they were getting fed up with that system. Verse, verse 1 of Samuel chapter 8 says, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel. The name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. And these weren't the first judges that that, um, weren't obedient to the Lord. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? This didn't just happen in the old days. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, they said to him, "You are old, and your sons do not do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have." But when they said, "Give us a king to lead us," this displeased Samuel, and he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, "Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you." They have rejected as their king, but me. As they have done for, excuse me. As they have done um, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them. But when, but warn them stern, uh, solemnly, and let them know what the king. Who will reign over them will do. And then he goes on to tell them what that king is going to do. And life isn't going to be so great under kings, especially as it turns out in Israel's history because of their hard-heartedness, especially evil kings. There were very few kings that, that served the Lord, that, that had a heart for God. But this is an example of God giving in, in a certain respect, giving a, a concession to these hard-hearted people and giving them what they wanted, and then as in turn facing judgment because of it. It was one of his ways of trying to wake them up to start serving him again, to start softening their hearts to him. And so this isn't an uncommon thing that, he, that Jesus is talking about when he says that divorce was given to the, to the children of Israel because of the hardness of their hearts. This was, this was typical of the children of Israel to have hard hearts. But then Jesus, it, back to answering that question about divorce, Jesus then goes right back to the passage that we looked at this morning from Genesis chapter 2 and looks at the creation of man and woman, Adam and Eve, and the statement that Moses made about them when he described them coming together and said that they would be, the two would become one. And so Jesus in this statement is letting us know his plan, his eternal plan, that he had long before Adam and Eve were made, this is the way it was going to be, that he wanted, when a man and a woman came together, it was his, it was his plan that they live their lives together until they die. That was his plan. Because of the, because of the picture that he intended to paint through man and woman. He had a, he had a certain role that, that he wanted a man to play he had a certain role that he wanted a woman to play and this was going to glorify him as they did this the problem with the plan was the people that he gave it to and so just like just like all the laws even this law written on our hearts because this wasn't a, a written law you know, none of the ten commandments say specifically anything about the the husband and the wife being together forever. He does have the law in there about adultery. But the fact is, because of the way he created Adam and Eve, and the way he established marriage, he was expecting that men and women everywhere would follow that example and follow that law. Again, the people saw that. They knew it was good. They knew it was right. Everything that God made was good. Everything that God made was right but they rejected that. They're people. They're sinful people. And like all the laws, remember what the major purpose of the law is. A lot of times we we get confused on this subject. The major purpose of the law wasn't to help us live perfectly. The major purpose of the law was to show us that we can't. It was to expose our sin nature. It was to expose it from us that we like to sin and we can't keep the law. See, that message is what was supposed to be getting through to this hard hearted nation of Israel. That message is what's supposed to be getting through to everybody because all of us have some law written in our hearts when we're born, and none of us can keep that law. And so everybody is pointed by their inability to keep the law, whether it's the law of Moses or the law that's written in our hearts. All of us are prone to sin, are prone to break that law, and we need a Savior. We need somebody to be able to forgive us of our sins. And that's what what God did for us in sending His Son, the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Sending Jesus into this world to be that Messiah, to be that Savior, to be that one who can give us forgiveness of sins. And so that law concerning divorce, that law concerning marriage, like all the rest of the laws, was given to expose us of our need. And I say us because it's all people, all times. To expose us as sinners and our need For a Savior. And so Jesus, as he points this out, is is pointing us right back, not to the law in Deuteronomy, pointing us right back to the law in Genesis chapter 2, and saying, What God brings together, let no man separate. And so as we hear that this morning, some of us are married, some of us aren't, some of us are divorced, some of us aren't. We hear that message this morning and we should take that to heart and first of all if we're married say thank God that he has put me together with this man or this woman and for some of you right now that is very difficult to do right, because even this morning you know where's Katie and Kevin they had to take care of their baby I'm still going to pick on them Kevin forgot the bottle this morning Okay, men, we can all relate to that. We've all, they have a newborn, a newborn. And that was a terrible thing. I was there when he discovered it and she gave it to him. <laughs> Nobody knows the wars that you've been through this morning to get here. Okay. Except for your children. And in some cases they were the cause of the wars. Nobody knows that except for you and everybody else who lives through it every Sunday morning and every other day of the week. Because bringing a man and a woman together is no small thing. Because we are so different. And it, and it isn't even just the difference of our, of our gender. We're just different people. And he says he's bringing the two To become one. That is an amazing thing. That is a miracle of God. That is something that will only fully succeed if both people within the marriage are growing in their relationship with Jesus on a daily basis. As I have the opportunity... Uh, to do um, premarital counseling and and weddings and things like that. In fact, I had the opportunity to do a wedding yesterday uh, in Nashville, so this is really um, not far in my memory bank so I can remember it. Um, It is a a miracle of God that he grows two people together in the image of his son. Because remember, we talked about that last week. Remember what God's goal for us is in life? Every one of us. His goal for us is that we would become more and more like Jesus. Every one of us. Every single believer. That's why we can say that uh, with confidence, that verse that was on the screen earlier earlier this morning. All things work together for good. For those of us who love God and are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he's doing in us. That's what he's using all these things in our lives to do, to conform us to the image of his son. And if a husband is being conformed to the image of his son and a wife is being conformed to the image of his son, they are going to get over all the other mess that happens. They're going to get through that. I remember I hate this memory, but I have to use it since I know what it. it happened. Our daughter Rebecca was about ten years old, and Sherry and I were having a discussion in the kitchen over about something. And I use discussion loosely. And um, I hear the we hear the pitter patter of feet coming down the steps, and then she comes sliding across and stocking feet across the floor, with her hands up. You guys, stop it! This is how divorces happen. Now, oh, you know, sick to my stomach Im- immediately. She's been in homes of her, of her friends whose parents were fighting, and they had got divorces. So she just puts two and two together and said, uh-oh, it's happening here. I got to go down and put, an, put a stop to it. And she did. And I was able to say to her with confidence, first of all, Rebecca, you're right, and I'm sorry. I should not have been talking with your mom like I was. But I want you to know something. We're not getting a divorce. Now, some of say, well, well, be careful what you say. You, you know, you're going to be able to keep that promise. And I was confident I was going to, be able to keep this promise. And here's why I was confident. And I told her this. I said, your mom loves Jesus. And every day she is becoming more and more like him as she reads his word and as she prays and as she lives for him. And Jesus has forgiven her of a lot of sins. And she is always going to forgive me of my sins. And I also love Jesus. And I'm growing in my knowledge of his word. And I'm growing in my service of him. And I'm becoming more like him. And I am, I've been forgiven of so many sins. I'm going to also be able to forgive your mom of her sins. So you don't have to worry. Even though we weren't talking like we should... You don't have to worry about us getting divorced. Now, I have confidence in my wife's faith in Jesus Christ. I was confident of that before I married her. I'm even more confident of that now, and I was even more confident of that, you know, by the, by the time Rebecca was able to, you know come into, into that mediator position, or whatever you would call it, um, I know. That Sherry is growing in her knowledge of, her, of his word. I know that she's being conformed into his image. I know that as hard as I make it sometimes, she's gonna forgive me. And she knows the same thing about me. And so we have this confidence. We we have this glory in our lives because we're able to live out exactly what God is talking about when He says the two will become one flesh. That doesn't mean that we're gonna be perfect. Nobody is. That's why, and, and, and I mention this often, that's why John writes in his first letter, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, where he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That includes the, the problems that we have, in the, the sins that we have in our marriages. That also includes... The sins that may have broken up a marriage and caused you to be in a divorce. Don't think of that as something unforgivable. It is one of the things that we deal with, just like all the other sins of the Bible. There there are numerous lists, and you've read them, of, of, of things that he doesn't want us to do. None of those things are beyond his forgiveness. That's why he tells us to confess our sins to him. And he'll be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But here Jesus, while he is, again, quoting the law, trying to expose sin, he also represents all the forgiveness of God in his person. Because he knows What he's on his way to do. How many times, as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark in just these last couple of Sundays in in chapters um, eight and nine, how many times has Jesus let his disciples know, I am on my way to the cross? How many times? Over and over again, he's letting them know, I'm going to take care of your sin problem, I'm going to forgive you of your sins. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to live in you so that you can live for my glory. And when you don't, you're still going to confess your sins to me and I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to cleanse you and I'm going to pick you back up and I'm going to use you. Now, there are other passages besides this passage in Mark which talk about divorce and and remarriage and these kind of things. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, passages that 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 speak of these things matthew chapter nineteen Jesus talks even more in this particular context even more about the subject so i 'd encourage you to look at those things but this morning I want us to I want us to hear the main point of what he 's saying he was glorified as our maker as our creator to make man, men and women he made us who He made us. He made Adam a man and Eve a woman. And He brought them together in marriage. And He is glorified when men and women come together in marriage and live their lives together as one for His glory. Overcoming all the things that we overcome. Going through all the things that we go through. Living out in our marriages our walk with Jesus. Being forgiven as Jesus has forgiven us. This morning in our our, uh, Bible study class at 930, and um, I think Ron uh, referred to that earlier this morning when he he was welcoming us. If you're not a part of one of the 930 Bible studies, I'd encourage you to to become a part of it. It's such an encouragement to, to discuss the Word of God together and to be encouraged by it and challenged by it. But we were looking at Ephesians 4.32 this morning, and I sang it because Sherry taught me the song. It's one of the things that she brought to the marriage was all the kids' songs that she's ever learned, she remembers. And so I I can remember it. But Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you forgiving one another, being kind and compassionate, forgiving one another. And he's not talking about marriage. He's talking about all of us doing that for each other. But there's no greater forgiveness among humans than a husband forgiving his wife and a wife forgiving her husband and living that kind of relationship out before their children, before their family and before their friends, their church friends. To encourage us that we can do that. And then also, in the same context, to realize that when a marriage fails, and again, there's all different reasons and there's all different circumstances and situations, and I would urge you, if your marriage is in a situation where, where you think it's beyond repair, don't go that alone. I would urge you, get some counsel, get some advice from those who know God's word who can help you through that. But for those who have done that and have gone through divorce, to realize that there is forgiveness for everybody in Christ. There, isn't, there aren't certain certain subjects that are unforgivable. All sins are forgivable. One of, our, one of the great heroes of our faith was a murderer and adulterer. And Jesus still refers to David as the man after his own heart because David understood the forgiveness of God. He, even though his sins were great, and murder and adultery are great sins, even though those sins are great, he knew God's forgiveness was greater. And, and what, a, what a picture. All of the, all of the New Testament um, apostles also show us that same thing. The Apostle Paul himself might have thought, no, I'm too far gone. I, I helped kill Christians. You know, no, God still said, I'm going to use you. I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to use you. And he does that for all of us, no matter what our circumstances. And so I want to encourage you this morning, as Jesus is encouraging the people of the first century, and, and through the faithful writings of the apostles and the friends of the apostles like Mark to give us this word, he is reminding us of what a great, great thing marriage is and how God can do this amazing work when he brings people together. So we praise him this morning for the picture that he paints as as we all get to see him at work in our lives, in our relationships. You know, it's really important to, to know people well enough to see the good, bad, and the ugly of them. And that's hard to do. That's very risky. It's, ver- it's very scary to get to know people that well. But that's one of our callings together as the body of Christ, that we can demonstrate for each other how we get through real life. Because all of us are living real life. You know, when the Apostle Paul made the statement in Ephesians chapter 5, where he said, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a tough command. That's hard to do. And then he goes on, right the next verse after that. It's kind of like, now that I'm on the subject of submission. He says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. What? But remember the context. He had just told all of us we're supposed to be submitting to one another. And it's basically he's saying, and you want to see how to do it? Watch a godly wife submit to her husband. That's how you do it. He didn't stop there. Then he went on. Next subject, Husbands. Take life easy, be merry, you have a submissive wife. People are laughing. Some of you don't know that that that's funny because that's not what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, that cross should remind us of two things. Of how much God loves us and how much he wants us to love our wives. And if that's not a picture of our love for our wives, if they don't think of us when they see the cross, and I don't mean for them to think of that as the cross they must bear, okay? I mean to think of, I'm glad I have a husband like that. If they don't think that, then give them something to change their mind. Let them see something different. Let them see a man who gives his life for his wife. She will even probably find more joy in her submission if she has a husband like that. But if a husband and wife are doing that together, that is a picture. That is a picture of what God, how God treats us and how we treat God. What a picture it's, it's supposed to be. And if, if that's a picture for us to paint for each other within the, within the body of Christ, what a picture it will paint outside the body of Christ where we meet and and get to know others that don't know Christ. And they see a husband who has a cross as his example for his love for his wife. And they see a wife who has the church as her example of how a wife respects and submits to her husband. They haven't seen that ever anywhere in their lives, and they see it in you. And they're going to wonder, and you're going to be able to tell them, it's because of Jesus. Jesus. That's what Jesus has done in bringing us together. That's what marriage is about. And Jesus is is glorifying this relationship that he had the great idea. Remember, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three in one, one God. He created us like that for that very purpose. And so, As we walk out of here, young people, look at marriage like Jesus looks at it. Be very careful who you give yourself to. Make sure that it's a person that has the same understanding of what marriage is and who we are in Christ. That is no small thing. That is one of the most important things that you're ever going to do and decide. Make sure. Be careful. Understand it yourself. And make sure that you don't get lured away from it by the, by some other kind of promise. Remember what God's plan in marriage is. And commit yourselves now, even before you're married, to making sure That that's the kind of woman, that's the kind of man that you pick as a husband, as a wife. And pray that the Lord will bring you to that person, and he will. Husbands and wives, recommit today to God's plan to be glorified in your marriage. Single adults, commit yourselves to the very same thing. For yourself and for others I have a very good friend who's single and I don't know anybody I can't think of anybody who prays more for his married friends than my single friend you're involved even if you're single in marriage in one way or another and maybe in the future your own and those who have who have gone through divorce remember that is not the end because of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ, there is forgiveness and there is and there's great hope. And so don't let that stop you. Don't let that thwart your growth. Don't let that stop you from following and serving. Dig in that much deeper and be that person that God wants you to be. Let's bow together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for your amazing patience. It's amazing how you were patient with the children of Israel. As hard-hearted and stiff-necked as they were. And we thank you for what you did through them. In bringing your law to expose sin. And bringing the Savior, the Lord Jesus himself. To bring forgiveness and hope. And so, Father, we thank you this morning for your patience with us. They're a great example for us. And we thank you for the gift of marriage. And we pray that you would be glorified in ours. And that you would use us, whatever our circumstances, whatever our situation, that you would use us to encourage others in theirs. And Father, for those of us who are single, we pray that you would give us patience, that you'd give us diligence, that you'd give us wisdom and discipline and courage to wait for the right person to marry. Another person who loves you and is being conformed into the image of your son to give us that possibility of living life in marriage for your glory. And Father, for those of us who are in hard marriages right now, we pray for your help. We pray for your wisdom. We pray for your courage and faith. And Father, we pray for protection. if any any are in a dangerous situation within their marriage, give them the courage, Father, and the wisdom to get away from that person that's causing them danger, whether it's the husband or the wife. We pray that you'd give them um, courage to do so and help us as a body to help each other through those kinds of things. Father, we thank you for your plan. We admit our sinfulness, our tendency to go the wrong way. And we thank you for the work you're doing in us to remedy that and forgiving us and changing us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.